Here we go. Yeah! The Earthbox Podcast. Welcome to the Earthbox Podcast. Well, Marty freaking God! Earthbox. That is a made-up name. It's my game attack. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Yeah, baby, yeah! Here we go. Like it! Come on, like it! Subscribe to it, please! Earthbox! Welcome back to the number 70 podcast in Uganda. <laughs> I can't get it out with a straight face. Make sure you are subscribed to the show. Smash that like button and share it with your friends. Joining me again, he nailed his interview. His reference is all checked out. And he's back for more, apparently, a glutton for punishment. It's Missing Link. <laughs> Great to be back. Thank you very much. And there's your applause. I'm very excited. It's, it's an honor. So well, I was be back. I, yeah. I, I was just mentioning before uh, we heated up the mics, as they like to say in the business. Strangely enough, no big news coming out of the states, unless you consider Ron DeSantis announcing his presidential campaign to be big news. None of us are surprised. The American media has been behaving as if he had already you know, thrown his hat in the ring. Uh, and then there's a bit about uh, Carrie Lake, the loser of the recent governor's race in the state of Arizona. Her protest was thrown out in the courts again, but she claims she's going to continue fighting. Again, nothing surprising, but there was some big news out of the UK. Tell us about it. Okay, so, uh, very interesting. Dominic Raab has said that he is going to resign at the next general election, which is next year in 2024. And who is Dominic Raab? So Dominic Raab, well, Dominic Raab was the deputy prime minister. So he uh, really started his job in, you know, he, he, he became the Brexit secretary in 2018 and then became both the first secretary of state and Foreign Secretary from 2019 to 2021, and he was Secretary of State of Justice and Lord Chancellor between 2021 and 2023, and had a brief uh, stint out of office during Liz Truss's government, and then when Rishi Sunak uh, came back in, he uh, then became a Deputy Prime Prime Minister at that time, until a report came out uh, that he uh, apparently was bullying uh, civil servants. There was an independent report put into that. It then Dominic Robb said that if the independent report said that he was bullying people, that he would resign. And that report did say that he was bullying uh, civil servants. He subsequently resigned from the cabinet, but remained as an MP. And then I can't remember when the actual day that he said he was resigning. I think it might have been Monday when the news hit, hit us, but he said that he would be completely resigning as a, uh, a minister in the great parliament of Great Britain uh, at the next general election next year. So that's a little bit of a background on, on him and his short career. And I've got a video here. It, it's long and I'll jump around a little bit, but just to bring everybody up to speed. My name is Dominic Raab. I'm the author of The Assault on Liberty, 
and I'm a Tory. Figures that worked with you that I've spoken to have told me that your behaviour did amount to bullying, that you, your approach put the fear of God, to quote someone, into members of your staff. You insist you are not a bully, but do you accept that others think you are? And are you confident that you're going to remain in your post in a few months' time? Well, I'm, of course, engaged with the inquiry uh, and will not comment on it at all. In terms of the food bank issue, if, and I've studied the Trussell Trust data, what they tend to find is the typical user of food bank is not someone that's languishing in poverty, it's someone who has a cash flow problem, episodically. Oh. No, it's true. Well, that's what the, that, okay. that is what the Trussell Trust data says. It's not what they say, and, and It is, it is. With uh, I go to food banks Sorry, no, 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 no. Sorry, Victoria, can I finish the point? No, they, they wouldn't. And what we've done, because a lot of people on low and middle incomes are feeling the pinch, is we've taken four million of the lowest paid out of income tax altogether. The average basic rate taxpayer keeps a thousand pounds each year more than they did in 2010. And we've introduced the national living wage. And we're trying to make sure we've got the economy that creates the, the jobs and the wages and make sure people keep more of the money so just, they keep. Just, just, to but clarify, the is, just to clarify, Dominic, you're, you're telling the country here on this programme that the Trussell Trust who deal with, uh, with, with poverty, uh, told you personally that the problem with food banks wasn't people who are on the breadline, but people are having no. cash flow problems. No. I'm dying to hear from them when they hear that you've said Wait, that. So who, who was that that was uh, sort of pushing back on, on him in that, in that argument? That person in, in, in particular? Yeah. Uh, I'm not totally sure. Uh, they're not a politician. Uh, they're, they're just I um, believe, a member of the press, maybe of, of that particular uh, show. Fair. We'll continue. Detail, but I am familiar with those. Put it another way, then. Do you think you will be exonerated and remain in post? I have nothing more to say than I've already said at length. OK, so you're not sure you're going to be exonerated. It's an independent inquiry. I'm confident I behave professionally at all times. OK, so you think you'll be OK? I, I, I'm not going to comment on the outcome of the inquiry, which is by definition independent. Do you accept, though, that your behaviour in certain instances has not been acceptable? Look, uh, I'm sure I've made mistakes over four and a half years, but the question was whether any of this amounted to bullying. And I strongly believe if the threshold for bullying is so lowered that uh, uh, picking people up on bad work, uh, straightening out a negotiation where breach of a cabinet set mandate has been taken place, changing teams so we get the very best out of negotiations, so we deliver on victims' parole, uh, human rights reform. I don't support the Human Rights Act and I don't believe in economic and social rights, but I am proud to stand shoulder to shoulder at this convention with so many incorrigible lefties because this attack on our freedoms is bigger than politics and it threatens all of us. Asked by the BBC, straight question, she's normally a straight shooting uh, politician, do you like the RMT? She said, I'm going to have to go now. I've got a train to catch. This is at PMQs. That happens every Wednesday at 12 p.m. She talks about working people. She talks about working people. When you look at the policies one by one, whether it's 42 days, ID cards, the incursions on free speech, none have been justified on security grounds. Police haven't needed to hold any terrorist suspects for longer than 14 days in over a year and a half. So why do we need 42 days now? ID cards didn't stop the terrorist attacks in Istanbul or Madrid. So how will they protect us here? And repeatedly we've seen violations, infringements of free speech, the very bedrock 
of our democracy on the most trivial of grounds. Sacrificing liberty for security, it's not a trade-off, it's a fraud, and we need to expose it. Now, many Americans are watching this and hearing from this guy the first time and going, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with him. The, the fact that he's being forced out is a travesty. Let's bring him over here to America and have him represent <laughs> us. He believes in free speech as the bedrock. I mean, it, it was kind of dirty what he said about not, you know, he doesn't support social and, and economic rights. What's, uh, where, where is the bullying in that? W were there any well, good examples? So the, the, the bullying is, is relating to his conduct specifically with civil servants under his, uh, in his departments. Okay. It's nothing. So to do his, with his subordinates. Politics. Yeah. It's to do with his particular, um, communications with them. You know, the, the politics or policies or opinions of various, uh, ministers, is of is of no consequence to civil servants. Civil servants are just the people that just do the jobs and run the day to day operations of government. So they're not and like the, they're not like bureaucrats. Um, are they are they bureaucrats? Are they are they appointed or are they hired? Do they have to go through they an application? Hired. Okay, I see. Yeah, they they're hired. Yeah. So he's being, was that, um, the, the clip where they're all in the, in the hall and they're discussing yeah. and, and he's teasing the, the redheaded girl about <laughs> saying she has to catch a train. Is she, was that an example of the bullying? Uh, no. No, so she so wasn't that, that in the hall. Story. There is, is that's in parliament. So I'm not sure if that was actually at PMQs. It might've been in a different question and answer, uh, 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 session because I saw Rishi Sunak was next to him, so I can't really remember when that happened. But he, he was talking specifically to Angela Rayner, who is the deputy uh, leader of the Labour Party. So that's Keir Starmer's right hand woman, we'll nice. say. Um, so he, you know, he 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 makes he makes things. I wouldn't say that's like outside of what regularly happens in in Parliament. People constantly make jibes at each other in the professional environment of parliament, it's a little bit like theater. So I wouldn't say that was something that people thought. I think they're using this as an example of him digging at someone. Angela Rayner does exactly the same thing right back to him shortly afterwards. You know, so it's, 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 uh, yeah, I, I kind of think politics chose put it, put that in there in bad, in bad faith. Really what this comes down to is his specific behavior uh, with the civil servants that were under that were his subordinates and his, uh, yeah, behavior towards them, and that's what the independent inquiry was put into, and that was the um, jurisdiction in which that happened. No other, no, none of his politics or any of his other feelings or, or behavior in Parliament came into it. it none of that. Um, it was just between him and civil servants. So I think a way to describe it so that uh, you know the Yanks over here would understand is. He was being abusive. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know about, yeah. I mean, abusive kind of like gives that connotation where he was, you know, more like, like physically abusive kind of thing. Um, I, I would say that the best way to describe his behavior was unproductively 
unproductively using behavior uh, that didn't really fix anything. And he would just say that something was, you know, say a bunch of people were bad or they were bad or whatever constantly. Uh, In an effort to kind of manipulate their behavior so that they would, you know, fall in line. Are they obligated to do as he requests? Um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, they are do, they are there to do one job and that is to enact. So he doesn't have to be the minister. He he doesn't have to be abusive or bully to get them. I mean, there, there's, there's no, uh, there's, there's no coercion necessary. He doesn't have to try to convince them to do what he wants them to do. They're obligated. Absolutely. I mean, there's plenty. I mean, and a great example of this is the fact that he is the only person that's ever had to have this kind of level of inquiry about it. Most of the time, a minister comes in and the civil servants work with the minister to enact their policies. And this is happening right now as we speak. This will be happening tomorrow and it will be happening a million years from now. Uh, And most of the time, these things happen without the need uh, to bully someone. And that's just, that's just a simple fact about it. But well, in this case, he's, he's obviously uh, performed, not performed, uh, be- behaved badly. And, it's, and it's, he's behaved badly to a point where they've had to report him. You know, because the last thing the civil servant wants to do is, is, to, is to grass up their own minister. Um, you know, it's, that, that, that puts them in the, in the limelight. And, People think that these civil servants are, you know, some crazy, you know, gaggle of leftist people. And they're just literally regular people that you meet down the street that, you know, or some of them are extremely well educated and extremely well um, endowed in terms of their qualifications. It's interesting. There's not. um, Civil servants aren't really discussed. I mean, or what what would be considered uh, civil servants? in America aren't, aren't really discussed in the media. They're, you know, the, the, the dialogue that exists in politics is between politicians where you, you know, you hear AOC, you know, the Senator from New York going head to head with Matt Gates, uh, you know, Congressman from, or no, I think AOC is a Congressman. My mistake. Uh, going against Matt Gates of of Florida, and they have nasty things to say to each other. And the Democrats on the left, you know, AOC being a Democrat and and Matt Gates being a Republican, you know, it's very tribal. And you know, if if you're a Democrat, you're on AOC's team just sort of by default. And if you're a Republican, you're on Matt Gates' side. So when he has, uh, you know disdainful dig to return to her all the republicans go yeah and and then the democrats will will urge you know aoc to fire back and and you know be dirty and demeaning and and truthfulness or validity of argument is is out the window i mean it's i'm not a fan i think it it is a really grave deterioration in our culture but are what's sort of the spirit of the population in, in the UK about this? 
about Dominic about Rob. Yeah. About Dominic Rob. I mean, it's really interesting. I think, you know, most people, I would say, because most people aren't that politically active, I would say they don't care. Uh, they might even, they might not even know who Dominic Rob is until Monday, you know, until, until Monday came around, they probably didn't even know who he was. Um, so I would say, you know, I think now that they'd probably know who he was, they might suddenly jump to some sort of, uh, opinion. I was reading some of the comments early on uh, various news articles like, uh, unheard and on the telegraph. And it seems like the people that seem to be politically active are in two camps where, one is that they believe that the civil service is this lefty blob, as they call it, and they <laughs> they have this sort of systematic uh, wish to eradicate all right leaning Tories from from the earth and from government. And then there's the other side that that believe that Dominic Raab was, you know, the next coming of Hitler, and you know he wanted to enslave the population into his own rule or something. Do they use that so specific language? Uh, do they, sorry, do, do they use that specific language? Do they call him a Nazi and and Hitler, etc.? So let me let me find this comment for you. This person wrote on the Telegraph article: "Worse than Hitler, worse than Stalin, worse than Mao, worse than Pol Pot, worse than Sutcliffe. Quite simply, the most evil human being to ever have lived." That's interesting. And that's that, by someone called Free Speech. And that one day ago, that absolutely tracks with the people in America who have the same sort of political leanings being classified in the same way. You know, Donald Trump was Hitler. He was a Nazi. He was a white supremacist. And my, you know, sort of paranoid conspiracy theorist brain feels like all of this rhetoric is coming from the same place. And it, it's interesting that you, you brought up that most people don't pay attention to politics. It's hard for me to imagine because I'm steeped in politics every day. Yeah, right. Um, but there's... Uh, it's it's like uh, what I think it was ancient Rome, uh, bread and and circuses. You keep the you know the the doctrine was keep the population happy and distracted, and then the politicians can go about their business unimpeded by by the wishes of the people. And I think that's why. You know, there, there's a big immigration. I, I, I have a hard time uh, describing it as a problem because I believe generally that people should be able to pursue their their dreams and and try to earn a better life for themselves. Um. But when people talk about talk about immigration, Im immigration in the states is a is a big problem when it comes to fair wages and when it comes to representation in in government. And I don't know I don't know how it works in the in in the UK, but I think bigger than 
crazy issues like voter fraud and, and, you know, having these uh, immigrants voting on, on elections that they're not allowed to take part in is that when immigrants populated in an, in an area like California, that increases the population and legally entitles Californians to more representation in Congress, which means, you know, California has, you know, who, who knows how many congressmen, but then they roll a census out and find, oh, there's 2 million more people in California. California needs two more congressmen in Washington, D.C. Is there, could you compare that to how government works in, in UK? Is there more representation for a certain party based on the political leanings of the population? Does that question make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. So we have the same kind of election theory that you guys have, the first-past-the-post system, where um, it's about winning seats, and that means that you must win a majority in what we call a constituency, and that's sort of like an area. So it, for you guys, it'd be, a, it'd be a state or maybe maybe a county or something. I can't really remember how it works over there, but in a very similar state, you know, in a very similar way, uh, the Tories would have to win so many seats to get a majority, and that must mean that they have to win each constituency. So even though they might get like forty five percent of the vote, they might get say fifty two percent of the winning seats, for example. Um, and a great example of how this worked was. UKIP, the UK Independence Party, won 19% of the vote one year, but only ended up getting nine seats or something. So that's like a huge disparity. So for for the UK, in terms of leanings, um, you know, it's it's very much the, the kind of typical 50-50, uh, where you've got um, more left-leaning people for about 50%, and you've got more right-leaning people, another 50%. And that is actually kind of split, weirdly. You know, almost in two halves of the country where you get uh, what they call the Red Wall, which is in sort of like the halfway point in England, uh, you know, towards the northern end of of England, uh, you know, in Yorkshire, that's where mostly Labour voters are going to be. And then London, of course, is a massive urban hub that's going to be more left leaning. And currently the mayor is is a left, is is a sort of Labour folk. And then the more rural areas and the more... uh, sort of older areas are going to be more Tory as older people in this country tend to, uh, tend to vote more conservative. Uh, so that's the, that's the sort of makeup here. But the interesting thing about the UK compared to America, which is why I prefer the American system to our system, is because let's say um, I vote for the Lib Dems in my local constituency because I like their manifesto, I like the MP and he wins the constituency. The amount of laws that he's able to change is pretty much zero. The, the things that he's really able to do is pretty much zero. He's only allowed to really move around sort of money and budgets to do various projects and stuff. There's no way to really change the landscape. So like, say, you know, say, for example, you know, in Florida, there's like different environmental laws for your car so you you can run it with a straight pipe or something compared to california where you have to have 
five Catholic converters, so so <laughs> yeah. you don't put any single bit of carbon out into the atmosphere, right? There's none of that in the UK. So we had this really strange situation where you have to win seats in constituencies, but it's sort of irrelevant uh, who wins because they're not really able to change much local policy. And even if they did, you have to vote in the councillors, the individual councillors, and they might be with a different party as well. So they could, they could, you know, it's kind of like a big soup where there's not really much they can change. And most of the laws, if not all the laws, are made from Parliament and distributed federally. So really, it's more like people only really care who wins. You know, if your local constituency is a Labour constituency, but the Tories are in, you know, it, it makes no difference to your life, which is why I believe that we should either do it two ways. We should either do it so that the local MP has a lot more control over the local laws of the area and can really change it so that this is, you know, for example, like if Labour won all of London, then London can become a more Labour area for that for that five years or so. Or if the Tories won one area, they could make that more of a, you know, deregulated place and people could then flock around and change and move because the nice thing about america is if you don't like california anymore which people tend not to like if you if they sit on the right hand side they can go down to texas you know there's this big big texas move i've heard about um and i think we should either do that or just get rid of that whole thing entirely and just move to a completely sort of uh you know total vote status and that and that then distributes how many uh, ministers in parliament that you can have. So if you win 19% of the vote, then you get 19% of the seats as the party. Yeah, I I, that makes sense. I, I learned a lot about politics when I started paying. Well, it, it was kind of interesting. I uh, paid more. I paid more attention to politics as I sort of learned that the media is lying about basically everything. I mean, that's a generalization, but it, it, they, you know, there's a saying that, that goes, uh, you, you don't know how wrong the media gets a story until the story is about you. And I started reading closely, you know, digging into the claims that were made in, in various media outlets, and, and that led me to realize it was it was more about Donald when when Donald Trump was making his bid to become president and they all started calling him a racist so then i started digging in and that was what kind of pulled me into politics and i i learned a lot about how little power the federal government actually has in terms of states powers and states rights and th there's a lot of things that the states let the federal government get away with that really wouldn't hold up in court if anyone wanted to uh, push back against it. Or, I mean, if, if anyone with any power actually wanted to push back. And uh, that became most evident, and this kind of ties into the media lying about things, when uh, the, all, all the protests, they call it the summer of love, or at least the conservatives here call it the summer of love in, in 2020 when. Uh, so-called Antifa and BLM, you know, the Black Lives Matter protesters uh, were essentially on the warpath, you know, looting and burning and, and rioting. And a lot of the conservatives and even conservative media were saying, 
Donald Trump, why don't you intervene? Send in the National Guard and and do all of these things. And the power didn't really belong to him. It was incumbent on the governor to call up the National Guard to to quell the riots. And it almost seemed like a bait as if to say, hey, Donald Trump, do something you're not supposed to act unconstitutionally so that we can call you a Nazi in, in, in the newspapers. But yeah, it, could you imagine the optics? Oh, yeah. Well, I always like, thought when, yeah. when in, in, in 2016, 2017, when they were saying he's a, he's a racist, he's a Russian agent, uh, that he was going to do, I mean, this was my, my genuine fear. I thought, oh, no. He's going to do something stupid. He's going to try to hobble the freedom of the media, and then it's going to be all over for him. He's going he's gonna to infringe on First Amendment rights of freedom of the press, and then he's going to, they'll, you know, drag him through the streets. He'll be, he'll be in the stocks. And uh, it, fortunately, it never happened, but I feel like he was battling against all of this you know, because he's very image conscious. I mean, maybe that, that might be all he's conscious of. <laughs> and he, I mean, he does things like he went on that town, that town hall on CNN of all places. And th- there's a lot of, mm. a lot of people that think he did, you know, that that was a, a deliberate choice because he wanted to, you know, own CNN on their own turf. But he makes these, he makes these, strange decisions about where to market himself and where not to market himself. And I'm, I'm going off on this Donald Trump tangent, but he, you know, he get, I, I voted for Donald Trump in 2016 more because I wasn't going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. And I was listening to, uh, you know, at, at your, you know, at your advice, the uh the rest is politics podcast with with Rory Stewart and and uh Alistair Campbell Alistair yeah. Campbell I, I was going to say Alistair Crowley but I I knew that wasn't right <laughs> <laughs> um and they both seemed to have at least a, a, a small level of adoration for Hillary Clinton which I I mean turns my stomach but I wonder. Yeah, I know. What? So, do you generally have no, you know, love for Hillary Clinton? I I can't say I like Hillary Clinton. Although I don't know, I I know enough about her to know why I shouldn't like her. Uh, I don't see what Alistair Campbell and Rory see in her. I don't know what they were talking about. Um. I, I don't I, I don't I don't see what they what they see in her enough to, to like her. And the reason I say that is because there are plenty of other Democrats that are much better than her that have a better track record as her. I agree. And I see her as everything that's wrong with the Democrats. Uh, and she lost. Right. So, you know, she she lost against Donald Trump, which was really quite the wild card yeah. from from the Republicans in a, in a long time. And I think I think if they had had someone that was a bit younger and a bit more competent, 
I think Donald Trump would have had a much harder time becoming elected because I believe a lot of people voted for Donald Trump just because they didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, and I I feel like, well, it's I'm about to get conspiratorial on you here, but the uh, sure the thought I think in in Biden announcing a new a new campaign. He's going to run again for president in 2024. And I I can't help but feeling like this since Donald Trump announced and is going to run again, the deep state, the new world order, the, the people that may or may not be trying to influence elections, just think, okay, well, if Donald Trump is running again, we can make sure that he's the Republican candidate in the general election. We can make sure that Biden is the Democrat candidate in the general election. And we can pull all of the same strings to make sure that we have the same outcome. And we can have, you know, Joe Biden, the puppet president for another four years, and we can enact all of our fascist totalitarian policies even further. Now, a lot of, a lot of Republicans feel the way I feel that the election wasn't, I mean, let, let's just say it wasn't entirely legitimate. Are there any fears in the UK about the legitimacy of, of your elections? No, I would say public, a public opinion of the electoral process is sky high. And it always has been. There's never once, I've never once heard of any media outlet or any person that thought that the election result was something that they thought didn't seem right. Um, Do you vote on, is, is it paper yeah. ballots? Do you go in and vote? Like what's, what's the voting process? So the voting process, you have to register. So you have to register on the census so the government knows you exist. Um, it's a fairly super simple process. They actually come to your door and if, if, you, if you don't do it digitally, um, or uh, they send you a, a paper in the post saying, uh, do you still live here? Who is it that lives here? If there's anyone that isn't on this list, do you wanna, can you add them, please? After that, then you get added to the electoral roll. And when it comes time to vote, I go down to my local church hall, which is literally just down the street where there's some local volunteers and it's all volunteer led, um, which is really great uh, because people that are volunteers are usually politically agnostic. So which is the best way to run things. And then uh, I literally get my um, piece of paper that has the candidates in my local area and what party they're standing for. And I just put an X in there and put it in a box. Right on their desk. I can feel everyone listening going, yes, this is the way (laughs) to do it. No, no voting by mail in the UK. Um, Yes, there is. There is voting by mail or voting by proxy in the UK. Um, But you have to register for that. And it's not universal. No, it's not. No, it's not something that loads of people do. The only people that I know do it. People like my grandma. My grandma, I, I think, votes by mail because she's a she's she's an older lady, and so she she doesn't want to be walking all the way down to the local village hall. I would say that's like in the minority of the very oldest people or people that are disabled. You can also vote by proxy, which I think you can do in in, in America as well. If if um you want someone to vote on on your behalf, 
Yeah, in in the states, there's universal vote by mail. Right. I th- I think all three of the West Coast states have you you can go and vote in person if if you'd like. I believe. But in my state, it's all vote by mail. Which means, you know, they send, they send the ballot to your house. You probably will get ballots for people that don't live there any longer. And then you fill it out, put it in a, you know, a secrecy envelope, they call it. Sign it and then drop it back in the mailbox. And what happens after that? Nobody knows. And it's, it's interesting uh, it's it's sown a lot of distrust in the elections for reasons like as soon as universal mail-in voting was implemented in X state, for example, it's the, the victories in that state have always gone to the same party, to the Democrat party, to the liberal left. Is there any validity to that suspicion in, in your opinion? Uh, I would say, uh, yeah, I mean, it would... I would say it would have the counter effect here in the UK um, if there was universal mail-in because most older people uh, vote for the more right-wing party here in the UK. And uh, as a demographic, uh, people that are 45 and up are the majority voter base here in the UK. Most people, you know, my age and under, uh, are they don't vote that much. Which That's are so be interesting. The sort of it's because it's it's the op i mean the 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 cultural belief i should say is that it's the opposite in the states that it's the liberal left that is more inclined to vote by mail but that it, that gives me pause because most of the liberal population are in big cities and yes if you're in a big city you could just, you know, run down to the local church or election office or whatever and, you know, fill out your ballot in, in person with ease. And a lot of people also think that in, in, you know, sort of getting back to immigration, that the immigrants who are, you know, if, if, given the right to vote or, you know, simply taking the right to vote, you know, in, in a situation where these ballots are showing up in their mailboxes for the people that used to live there on, you know, unsolicited, they don't, they don't have to show their ID. They would be more inclined to vote Democrat because the Democrats in the States are the ones that are, you know, quote unquote giving everything away for free and relaxing you know immigration laws and and that sort of thing what is there any i mean i i have a few issues with this idea although i do consider myself generally conservative if as you say and i i generally believe this too most people don't really pay very close attention to politics. I would mm-hmm. think that your inclination to pay attention to politics in a language that isn't your first language, you would probably be even less likely. Mm-hmm. 
Is there any sort of supposition to the political preferences of immigrants in the UK? Honestly, it depends where the immigrants come from. So funnily enough, like most of our Asian immigrants, I mean, once they once they get full British citizenship, which you need in order to to vote, um, because you can't just you can't just rock up and, and vote. Uh, because obviously you need to be signed on by the electoral process, which means you need an address and you need British British citizenship to do so. Um, but it's funny, you know, most say like Muslim Asians are quite conservative people. And so they tend to vote for the conservative party, which usually take a harder stance on immigration. Uh, you know, if, if you if you look at the cabinet right now, you know, even, you know, Rishi Sunak is like a Hindu, right? And his his parents are... Uh, are immigrants. Um, you know, the leader of the SNP, he's a Muslim, Hamza Yusuf. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of one of these things where, uh, I don't know, our, our immigrants are, uh, it's a strange makeup. I would say, like, any immigrants that come from Europe were probably more left, left lean, depending where they come from. We have, we had a lot of Romanian and Albanian people come in. I would say, I wouldn't say, they're crazy left wing. They might be more socialistic because of, of course, the old Soviet type type stuff. But you know, they're going to be more conservative than your typical English person. I, I would say so. It's funny. I think people think that you know immigrants that are coming here are going to be quite left, but they're actually like if you if you were to visit Pakistan, if you were to visit India, I wouldn't say that they're complete. You know, very very left wing areas that they're quite conservative in terms of family life and 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 their other ideals. And so really. They're actually, really England is actually importing more conservative type people in their own way, in their own, in their own culture. So it's an interesting way to look at that. I think it's kind of funny to assume that an immigrant would come to your country, UK or America, and immediately want to get involved in politics. But I think where the, the concern is valid is when Democrats do what's what they call ballot harvesting and that is basically going door to door asking people to return their ballot hey did you vote do you have your ballots around can you just fill it out for me really quick that the you know it'll just take a second i'll wait i'm happy to i just want to make sure that your voice will be heard you know it's important to to you know vote in your your elections and and make a difference and change the world and and all of that and that used to be illegal but then COVID oh, came right. along and, you know, through executive fiat in, in most instances, which is also illegal, they changed the laws to allow people to go around and, and harvest ballots to, you know, um, oh, what was, what was the term they used? It was no excuse mail-in voting or something like that. It kind of, kind of gave a different impression than what it actually was, which was you don't have to have a reason to vote by mail. You know, it used to be like, like, you, know, like you were saying, if, if you had some disability and you couldn't make it down you know, to the election office, you could vote by mail. These sort of rule changes are all supposed to go through the state legislatures. Well, instead, you know, governors and, and secretaries of state said, ah, we're just going to do it because COVID, you know, we can't, we can't risk it. 
and even, you know, very alarmingly, in my opinion, lawsuits that were filed questioning the legitimacy of these elections based on these illegal rule changes. These suits were thrown out of court on on standing. And it's it's really, you know, news just recently came out that the UK is going to start requiring voter ID. Now, in the States, voter ID is, you know, desperately needed, in my opinion. But the way you describe the voting process in the UK, it doesn't sound like it is all that necessary. Because you don't have, you know, you do have to go down and vote in person. You, you do have to prove your citizens, uh, citizenship on, on some other level. And they're not just sending ballots out to anyone that can fill them out. Because I think if you're, if you're an immigrant in your apartment and someone knocks on your door and says, hey, do you have a ballot? Oh, I see it. It's over there on the table, you know, in the easily identifiable yellow envelope. Someone knocks on your door and says, hey, I'm from the government. I need you to do this. You know, you're you're going to you're going to comply because I mean, especially if you're in the country illegally, I had a, a. You know, I've I've always been a driver, that's my profession, you know, and unfortunately, until I can get rich as a famous podcaster, I'll be working a nine to five. And I, I worked Same. for Very this seen. for this furniture delivery company in in Portland, Oregon. And I, I signed on to this company and they had an, an immigrant who was working there who had been working there for something like 14 years, like crazy amount of time. And, you know, during the interview and hiring process, I told him, hey, you know, I want this much money. I think it was it was modest. I mean, this was several years ago. I think I wanted I was asking for $14 an hour. And they said, okay, well, we can't do that, but how about 1250? I mean, I needed work, so sure, fine. You know, whatever, no big deal. I worked a few days with these guys, found out this immigrant who, he, he was uh, Latino. I don't know, I don't remember if he was Mexican or, you know, Peruvian or, you know, whatever. Found out he, was only, he was only making minimum wage and had been working there for something like 14 years, like way too long to not have gotten some kind of raise for just his experience. And I, that was when I sort of realized, and this is what's kind of shaped my opinion on immigration, that a company will gladly hire an immigrant because they know that they're going to be able to manipulate him in, in every aspect of, of his employment there. Oh, hey, Luis, I know you'd really like to have a raise, but guess what? You're an illegal immigrant, so it's going to be much more difficult for you to find a job elsewhere. And I don't think that you have the motivation or the wherewithal, uh, the wherewithal to go find a job somewhere else. And even if you do, I doubt you're going to be able to get more money than, than what we're doing here. 
if you translate that to a ballot collector standing in in your doorway as as an immigrant they can tell you anything they can tell you here sign it right here and give it to me and then i will go and fill it out because there's no chain of custody when you when you talk about the voting process in the uk you actually have to go down you take your paper ballot fill it out put it in a box there's at least chain of custody between you and the Dropbox. But it sounds like there should be, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this story about voter ID in the UK could actually create a little bit of buzz about voter ID in the States because it's desperately needed. Although I, I have, unfortunately, very pessimistic views on the direction of the country there's there's a you know the direction of this country there's now an effort you know with, with everything that's going on with the the debt ceiling and i know it it is sort of a problem throughout the the west printing currency endlessly and just accumulating more and more debt but joe biden said uh, i think it was on monday that he thinks he can use the 14th Amendment, which is supposed to designate uh, Congress with the ability to um, create currency and take on debt. This is all supposed to be done through the legislature. He thinks he can just flaunt those regulations, raise the debt ceiling on his own, and create more currency without the approval of Congress. Now, this sounds outrageous, but with the state of the Justice Department, especially with the judges who are highly politicized, I'm afraid that this, this case might get in front of a court that just says, oh, no, we're, you know, you're your predecessor Barack Obama appointed me and I'm a lunatic lefty. So you can just go ahead and do whatever you want because there's it's, it's been shown over and over again in self-defense cases that if you happen to be of the wrong skin color or, or political persuasion, you won't get a fair trial in court. Is there any kind of blatant partisanship in, in justice in the UK? No. Uh, since we had a Supreme Court, now I can't remember when we institutionalized our Supreme Court. So we've not always had one like you guys have. Um, but the people that sit on the Supreme Court in this country are not appointed by uh, politicians, I don't believe. So they aren't partisan. And our justice system isn't partisan uh, either in terms of the people that run it and, and get appointed to it. And that had, Although people that do become judges end up becoming part of the Privy Council, so they get special access to um, government information, but, but not influence over any opinions or anything like that. And they're, they're elected. 
I, you know, this is not my area of expertise. I'm not sure how they they become a judge. I believe I, I believe there I believe it's some kind of yeah appointments of justice of the Supreme Court. I'm right there too. Under Section 25 of the CRA, 2005, there are two possible routes to qualification for appointment as a justice of the UKSC, United Kingdom Supreme Court. First, a person is eligible for appointment if they have held high judicial office for a period of at least two years. High judicial office is defined in Section 60, Article 2 of the CRA, 2005, as meaning a judge of the yada, 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 Court of Appeal. That doesn't really go into it. In the UK, judges are appointed. Some magistrate courts still have lay justices uh, presiding. Hmm. Unknown. Well, (laughs) I'm glad we got into this area uh, of of something that we're both so knowledgeable on. (laughs) Okay, so I'm I'm reading this now on the Supreme Court.uk. So... The key steps in the selection process are as follows. The Lord Chancellor convenes an independent selection committee, commission. Okay, so he will convene independent people, probably other people within the justice sector commission whose membership is described above. So the the people uh, that will be in this independent commission will probably be from, you know, one, two, three, four, five, these, these, these things here. The selection commission must have... President UKSC, senior UK judge, a member of the Judicial Appointment Commission, a member of the Judicial Appointment for the Board of Scotland. So the people that select these judges for the Supreme Court must all all be these kinds of people first. And then uh, the vacancies advertise applicants are sought from a wide range of candidates, including those who are not currently in full-time judges and those who will increase the diversity of the UKSC. So I think they're not thinking. I think of diversity and sort of ethnic diversity, but may but I think they're using that word diversity is in diversity of specific skill set. So if there's a judge that has specific uh, knowledge in a certain area, then they would want to add that to their board so that they can have accurate counsel in the judges. So this seems like a much better process, in my opinion. Yeah, than, you can. See, yeah, than in the states. You can see that it's not just okay. A minister chooses a judge. They have the the Lord Chancellor has to convene an independent uh, body to to make the best choice based on who's going to be best for the for. The, and and I, you know, uh, that there was this great uh, case which was the Supreme Court versus the government of the United Kingdom, uh, and it was around the Brexit time when they were voting on the Brexit bill and Boris Johnson had prorogued Parliament and someone took this case to the Supreme Court saying that it was illegally prorogued and prorogued is when uh, Boris, uh, that when the Prime Minister decides to make the entire of Parliament go on a holiday essentially for a certain period of time and he did it on purpose well, the alleged, the, he allegedly did it on purpose so that people wouldn't have enough time to read the Brexit bill and therefore vote on it in, in sort of good mind or whatever he was trying to just skirt that whole process and there was this woman that was uh, nicknamed Spider Woman because she was one of the judges on the Supreme Court that wore this spider pendant on her jacket and she was brilliant and there was this whole court case where Boris Johnson the Prime Minister at the time was literally in court being 
you know, ripped apart by the Supreme Court and ended up coming out that no, it was absolutely illegal for them to prorogue Parliament. And when they made their judgment, all the ministers came flooding back into Parliament. It was a absolutely insane time. Um, yeah, the UK justice system is, I believe it's probably one of the strongest in the world. People have their issues with it. And right now there's a massive issue in the UK justice system where there's a really long waiting list and there's not enough uh, there's not enough judges, not enough courts, and not enough uh, legal counsel. So the only thing we could improve is that they, there's more of it. But in terms of the actual system itself, it's it's really good. Yeah, it sounds really solid. It, it's it's interesting to me when I hear, you know, because it's always pointed to, oh, this, can you believe this judge made this ruling? Oh, he was an, Ob- an Obama judge. He was a Clinton judge. Of course, he's, you know, he was... He was a radical Marxist or whatever. It makes me wonder why, why would they, you know, why why would they go along with the political preferences of the president that appointed them after they've already been appointed? You know, you don't, you, you would, I, I would assume that you would do favors for a, you know, a political candidate or, or, you know, office holder to get in their good graces so that you would earn that appointment. But I can see why people would think that, I mean, because it, it can go the other way too. Oh, I'm going to appoint this Marxist judge so that he rules in favor of the things that, you know, the diktats that I have, you know, created that are going to end up in these courts. You know, it, it's, it's perplexing, but I feel like we need to do a lot more voting and a lot less appointing. Because that's, you know, the, the president is elected and then he appoints his secretary of state and his secretary of defense and all, all of these people that will just behave in, in you know, at, at least closely to the manner that the, the person that appointed them would behave. I feel like we should even be voting on our, our, our vice president. You look at Kamala Harris, the the current VP in the States. She had, I think she earned in, in the last primary election that she participated in before she dropped out, I think she got about 4% of the vote. Then Biden turns around and makes her the vice president. So regardless of how the citizens thought of her, she's now next in line to the presidency if something should happen to him. I, mm. I don't, I don't think that's right. And it's similar with the judges, although I don't really think that the judges are as much of a problem in the States, at, at least with the problems that we're dealing with now in, in terms of sort of the miscarriage of justice in cases like, like self-defense, what it is primarily are the district attorneys. Now I didn't, I wasn't aware of this until just recently. But the district attorneys are the ones now responsible for what they call pressing charges. I don't know if uh, it calls to mind uh, the movie um, Hot Fuzz. Are you familiar? Oh, I love that film. Me too. Yeah. I I love those guys, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. What are they? uh, Yeah, they're great. The the Cornetto trilogy. That's great stuff. But there's, there's a scene where he... 
he chases down, uh, you know, Simon Pegg's character chases down this shoplifter and, and brings him into justice. And then they're down at the police station and the owner of the shop says, I'm not going to press charges. And of course there's a, a bunch of protests from the, from Simon Pegg's character because, Oh, you know, how could you let him get away with da, da, da. Oh, well, it's not your, it's not your concern officer. I want him to have a good, well, that, that doesn't exist apparently. And I included a link in one of the, the previous show notes that sort of explains it's all up to the district attorney. If the district attorney decides that you've broken a law, well, then it's up to him to have you arrested, to have you prosecuted, and, and, and then have you put in front of a judge. And this is why people can't get a fair trial. They're, I mean, this is why it's claimed that people can't get a a fair trial, especially in, uh, you know, liberal jurisdictions like New York and Washington, D.C., et cetera. There was a case. Um, I, it was the the couple were the uh, the McCloskey's is is how the you know, they were generally referred to. But they had a riotous group coming through their their neighborhood and actually came in, came through their gates. So. They went out on their porch, you know, one, the, the man had a rifle and then the woman had a pistol and they were just standing there, you know, brandishing them. I haven't seen any video, just the, the, the pictures that go everywhere. Let's see if I can pull one up for you. I think I might know about this. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> there they are. Um, they, uh, they did not win their case. No, they didn't. It was uh, a tra- a travesty of of justice, in my opinion. But this is from this is as a result of what what people call George Soros funded district attorneys that can completely trample people's constitutional rights and hopefully send them in front of a judge that will generally agree with the district attorney to serve in, in my opinion, to serve this larger purpose of, of sort of an ideological transformation of the country. Are now I know what, what are the gun laws in the UK? I, I know it's basically no guns. But okay, you know, okay. So put a finer the, the point gun on laws, that. Yeah. So the so the gun laws in the UK um are very very restrictive compared to America, which I think most countries are very very restrictive. Most the only, are, the yeah. Only, uh, yeah. The only real uh, diamond in the rough in Europe is is Switzerland. Switzerland actually has less uh, gun laws than uh, America does, um, which is. <laughs> which is really surprising when people hear about that. Um, but in the UK, you have to be a member of a, uh, a gun club of some kind of uh, description, and you need to be recommended by someone there in order to apply for a license. And that means that 
you have to be a part of a of a club for uh, you have to be a member of a club for a while and then when you go to apply there's different levels of of firearms that you can apply for the most common being um a, a shotgun license and that co- that that covers anything that's smooth bore so anything from a musket up to um you know let's say like an 8 gauge shotgun and you have to go through an interview process um you have to have your home checked uh, and you ha- you must have a, a, a safety or a secure box. I have one in my house. I don't have a shotgun, but the previous owner of this house had one, and so there is a there is a lock box on the wall. Um, and you also have to state what you're going to be using that weapon for. Um, and you have to, um, as I said in the recommendation process, you know you must have sort of like a uh, a recommendation of character from someone uh, that they know you and you know how to handle a firearm. So it's uh, quite a lengthy process, um, and usually that limits you to um, just handling shotguns. It's completely illegal for any person in the UK to uh, own a handgun, and that's been, I think, since just after the Second World War, that was the case. Um, And especially since the IRA incident in Ireland, you know, the, the gun laws became a lot more restrictive uh, then um and other than that i think it's very specialized people that uh can only own weapons you know uh, like say rifles i don't i don't want to say assault rifles but rifles of of that nature let's say an ar15 would be completely crazy for someone to own here but something like a 303 enfield or some other rifled uh so medium medium rifle would be perfectly fine to get a license for but other than that i mean it's really really restrictive do you generally agree with the restrictions do i generally agree with the restrictions um do i genuinely agree with the restrictions um i don't know i mean personally firearms really do interest me and i i have shot some and they they're really cool um do I agree with the restrictions? I'm going to say, I don't know, it's it's tough for me to, to, to make a decision because we don't have much gun crime. Like, if someone gets shot in the UK, that is like a crazy news event. That's front page news. You know, that's so rare for the UK. And so I think if the idea that the restrictions reduce gun crime then it has done that aspect. But at the same time, the libertarian in me is going, well, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's just a, it's just a weapon. Like if someone's going to shoot someone else, then that's on them. That's not on the gun doing that. And if you take this into, you know, other weapons, you know, knife crime in the UK is almost a meme at this point where it's almost a rite of passage when you come to London to get stabbed or something. It's, you know, it's that common uh, that knife crime is around. And so I almost feel like it would be people are going to kill each other regardless. So, you know, what the hell? But at the same time, it's, I don't know, it, it's tough to make a yes or no decision on, 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 on the gun restrictions. Yeah, it's, it's, hard for me, it's hard for me to say yes or no. There's kind of pros and cons, and I, I'm not really sure what side of the fence I sit on on that one. Yeah, well, I think sort of logic would would follow that if there's a large amount of knife crime, if you 
legalize weapons to the extent that they're legal in the states, it would translate to gun crime, probably a lot more crime-related death and, and murder. But I also, you know, being an American, I own several firearms. I also tend to subscribe to the idea that there should be more gun. Like, if everyone was packing, would there be as much gun crime as there is in, in these liberal cities and gun-free zones? A criminal, there's a, a meme that I saw not, not long ago of, of a picture. It, it was two identical pictures, one on top of the other, or, you know, one above the other. And it said, criminals before gun regulation, and they're all holding their, their rifles and their pistols. And then the lower picture says, criminals after gun regulation, and they're all holding the same rifles and pistols because criminals by definition don't obey the laws i feel like there's you know if if you have uh you know a smith and wesson sticker on your window a criminal walking by thinking about invading houses would make a conscious decision to avoid the house with the gun manufacturer stickers in the window but I'm not, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, a rule of thumb. You know, y you shouldn't try to, if you're not a criminal, it's, it's for, uh, you know, an exercise in futility to try to understand the mind of a criminal in most cases. I think there could also be an argument that says you're a criminal or, or, or criminals on, of, of a, wider variety would be more likely to use a knife on someone because it's less likely to be, to be lethal. Whereas you, you, you have to reach a certain level of psychopathy to shoot someone with a gun because it has the potential to be a lot more deadly. But I learned, uh, recently there's there, this, uh, argument because in in the american constitution in the second amendment it says you know the right to bear arms shall not be infringed and you know the diehard libertarians say ah see shall not be infringed i should be able to own a rocket launcher i should be able to own a tank because the purpose of the second amendment is for me to be able to defend myself against the government so any weapons that the government has, I should also be able to have. So I dug into this a little bit. And I learned that, in fact, you can own a tank. You can own a rocket launcher and you can own a grenade. You just have to submit to what sounds like the same sort of invasions of privacy, which is kind of a harsh way to put it, mm. that, that you have to go through in the U.K., you know, you have to pay $200 and you have to submit to more of an interview process and more paperwork. Uh, however, you can't own a tank that has a working gun. That was the biggest restriction that I could find in, in, in the real world application of, of the Second Amendment. I didn't dig into, you know, attack helicopters or 
F-16s or anything like that. Mm. Ukraine wants F-16s right now too, by the way. Yeah, they want, they want F, they're getting F-14s as well, aren't they? Is it F-14s or F-16s? I've seen both. Yeah. I'm sure they want F-35s. I'm sure they do. But we should save this, uh, we should save this for next time. Would you agree? I'm sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot. But I'll cue the no. the outro music. Sure He's thing. the he is the host of the Missing Link on the radio podcast. Go subscribe; it's everywhere. Also, subscribe to the uh, to the Earthbox podcast on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher, etc. Follow me on social media, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, uh, Missing Link, for joining me. Do you do you prefer? Is there a shorter version that you prefer, Link or Miss? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the full name is Four Four Missing Link, but people just call me Missing Link now. Uh, that's the that's the shortest. Well, someone's called me Four Four before, but I, I'm not sure about that. I like it. I don't know if I like that. Yeah, you like that. <laughs> well, thanks for having me again. Yeah, thank uh, you for joining me. To come on here and and uh, talk about politics and culture and how they compare and contrast between here in the United Kingdom of bureaucracy and uh, you know the United States of America well I'd love to do it again soon or uh, anytime thanks a lot absolutely yeah let's just keep going all right thank you everyone for listening I'll be back <laughs>